Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Uh, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 22, and then put a finger there. If you have it digitally, this is going to be extremely difficult for you to do, because um, if it's on an iPad or a phone, you can't grab two places at the same time. Uh, but if you have it in a traditional way, pages, put a thumb on Genesis 22, and then turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at two unique phrases, uh, because I feel an assignment of sorts in order to, if we could, unpack the concept of kingdom influence. I don't know if you know it or not, but God has actually gone to extraordinary lengths. Uh, he has laid down his own life. He has purchased a people for himself through the blood of his son. Right? This is the glory of the throne room vision that John is privy to on the Isle of Patmos. The voice speaks, the door opens. He is in the spirit on the Lord's day. He is raptured up above gloriously taken into a visitation, an encounter that is awe-inspiring in every possible way. There are angels and elders and creatures and saints in hosts galore rallied around a vision of this worthy one seated on a throne. And they are erupting in song to him because he has transformed the human experience. The human experience, broken, insecure, hostile, rebellious, filled with corruption like a cancer, spreading generation over generation as an inheritance since the first Adam was overcome in the garden by not being able to manage his appetites. This fleshly, this carnal way of living and thinking that dominated his experience now brought the human experience subject to the tyranny of sin. And Jesus has actually laid down his own life in a joyful, outrageous willing way for no man takes my life from me I lay it down on my own accord he says I know who I am I know what I'm doing I know everything that I'm about I just didn't come to do anything and everything and flex muscles of deity but I came on a specific mission because I understand that there's something of an eternal desire there's an eternal purpose which Paul would say in Ephesians 1 was being worked out in Christ on the cross and the beauty and the power of God's wisdom is to lay down his own life in an outrageously joyful way for the joy set before him is what gave him the power to endure the scorn and the shame of the cross but in doing so he understood what it was that he was after he wanted a people that he could share himself with forever and ever and ever and this is where we should find the bearings or the context for our life and now what is the transformed joy of the human experience because Jesus has done what no other could ever do 
He has produced a pathway. He has created a door for the exodus out of the tyranny of corruption that held humanity hostage. For humanity could only be what humanity was going to be able to produce out of the place of this sinful inheritance. But Jesus is now the Passover lamb. And he is the power for our Passover. And he has granted us the pathway for our exodus. And we can now be what we could have never been had Jesus not done what only Jesus could do. And he is the worthy one that is deserving of this people that he purchased for his father with his own blood. A wildly transformed people. A people whose very makeup has been dynamically reconfigured. They are not like every other person that may surround them. And the difference or the distinction is now, though the outward man might look the same as the outward man used to look, our inward man is being renewed, as Paul would say, day by day. Because on the inside, we are housing something of a divine substance. There is a divine life. There is a power. There is a spirit. There is God's spirit. There is the Holy Spirit that is alive on the inside of each one of us that through a born-again experience by way of pledging our allegiance to Jesus as King, not just theologically, but practically enthroned in my heart, I am now, as Paul would say, no longer a sin slave, but I am a slave to righteousness because I am alive to God and I am now beautifully subject to to him and his desires. He has revealed himself to me. He has touched me in a profound way. He has absolutely changed my life. And now I am living as a transformed person. I am living as a new creation. I am living from the reality of being a new creature. For if any man is in Christ, that man is a new creature. Old things are gone and all things become new. This family of new creatures, this Romans 6 new version of humanity is a sign and a wonder. They are a testimony of God's power and mercy. They are witnesses and representatives. They are ambassadors of this king and his kingdom. And it is about time that we start to believe in what it is that God has actually done on the inside of us so that we're not living from a place or a posture or a platform where we're sowing into something that's not actually reality because the reality is that God has done done something to change me and I am accountable to live out of a place of transformation that is only possible because of the way that God has touched me and the grace that he has given to me and God is very invested I would say so because he's given you the best of what he could possibly give you he's given you his own life 
What more could he have to offer? What more could he possibly say, I'm going to provide to you in order for you to accomplish everything that I desire for you? He has given you his life. He has provided you with his spirit. You have every possible thing that you need in order to live this life of godliness and righteousness. And as a new creation, as a new creature, the Bible actually speaks in great lengths about the influence of these new creatures as God places them in every space and space and place that culture has to offer. Because we are supposed to be a provocative. We are supposed to be a catalyst. We are supposed to create a tension by the way that our lives interact, yes, with others of God's house, but even unto the world that surrounds us. And it is our responsibility to be accountable to what it is that God has done in us. And this is where we're going to find in Genesis 22 and in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, we're talking about real kingdom influence and our lives actually maturing in God and becoming an influence for the sake of God's purposes. Genesis 22 reads these words. And after some time, God visited Abraham and he tested him. Let's just be encouraged right here from jump that you're not going to ever graduate the place of testing. That you're not ever going to graduate the place of God visiting you and testing you. After some time, this is after decades of a man walking with God. Well, Mike, you don't know who I am. It doesn't matter to me. Praise God. It doesn't matter after time God visits Abraham and he tests him. He visits him and he tests him. But the way that he tests him is important for you and I to consider. He tests him by revealing his desires to him. The way that God tests Abraham is by visiting him and revealing his desires to him. He provides Abraham with an opportunity to obey him. And this invitation to obedience happens in real time and in real life. Right? Let's just, let's set the frame where the frame needs to be. This invitation to obedience is not happening in a church service. This invitation to obedience is not just some external gift-flaunting ministry charade. This invitation to obedience is in a very personal, private capacity where God is dealing with Abram and he comes to him face to face and reveals his own desires and invites him to surrender to a word that he is giving to him that is difficult to bear. The tension of what it is that Abraham now knows that God wants is dealing with him and Abraham must have a response to God. 
And it's happening in real life and it's dealing with real life circumstance. God is very interested in the way that you live your real life. God is not only concerned with a two-hour block on Sunday and then you can live the rest of the week however you want to live. This is actually foreign to the idea of what the New Testament is communicating. The New Testament is communicating God purchasing a people that are radically transformed, that are now planted in real life, and that are now creating tension because they're not living the same way that the rest of the system of the age is living because they're not the version of humanity that the rest of the world is. And in every opportunity for them to demonstrate in real life what it is of actual substance that God has done in them through their unique obedience God is putting on display the testimony of the power of a new creation because we're not handling life the same way that everyone else around us is handling life or at least we're not supposed to be because our accountability is now a sensitivity, an intimate fellowship with God himself and an accountability out of real relationship to become more subject to what it is that we know that God wants. This is kingdom 101. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to Jesus. His word is now the authority in my life. Some of us actually have to get to the place where God's word is more powerful and authoritative than your preference. To think that, well, God wants everything that I want, you are living in deception. Psalm 45, 7 does not start with you, it starts with God. That there will be a people that love what he loves and hates what he hates. It starts with him, not with you and me. It doesn't say that God will love everything you love. It says, no, he will have a people that love what he loves and hates what he hates. And that that will be an oily people, anointed for the day, exalted above their contemporaries, glorified and bright and radiant because they will be conformed to the image of the one who is the pattern. And Abraham receives a difficult word in real life that tests him. Well, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't either. But what I've realized is that testing is required in order to authenticate what it is that we suggest about ourselves. Testing is to authenticate transformation. Because you can say whatever you want to say about yourself until real life happens to you. And real life is happening to you in order to test you so that God can approve you and qualify you to the world that surrounds you. As a born-again spirit person, we are not exempt from real life. We are not exempt from trial and tribulation and tragedy and sorrow. As a matter of fact, we would have to blur out much of what the New Testament is communicating in order to subscribe to a belief system like that. We understand in Romans 5 that it says we exalt in our tribulations because we understand that tribulations are producing actual perseverance. And perseverance is developing real character, real character, 
real character, not just hashtags, language, merch, real character. It's developing in us something of a real substance where God is shining bright because all of the plasticity and the veneer of Christianity that we can suppose until the circumstances of life expose us for what it is that we thought about ourselves until real life happened and proved to be otherwise, perseverance deals with us because we have to come under the tension of God's word in a long and way for the hammer and the chisel to refine and define who it is that we actually are where we are something that is fundamentally different than just who the rest of the world seems to be and in many instances it can only be proven by fire we must be tested and we must go through real life and have the testings and the trials of real life actually come to our place of dwelling where we have to surrender to what it is that we know is God's desires right again kingdom 101 his word is authoritative in my life and every opinion that I have is now being shaped by what it is that I know is God's word and his desires that are communicated in this word and anything that does not line up with what it is that I know he desires, I'm asking him in an honest and a desperate way to give me grace to more conform me to the image of his son, which is what I know is his desire for me. This rules everything. This is exalted above everything. Culture is not God. My emotions are not God. My desires are not God. This word is what is governing over the experience of my life and helping to determine the way that I'm going to relate to others and circumstances. I'm now accountable to live in a way that is scriptural and no longer in a way that is sinful. I have a scriptural accountability when life begins to test me. Which means in moments of hardship, I have to go to the word in order to receive discipleship. In moments of hardship, I have to investigate the word to find proper discipleship. They rallied around Jesus and they said, just as John did for his disciples, Luke 11, 1, teach us how to pray. Man, I'm going through something and I don't really know how to go through it well. And I don't want to turn to the world. And I don't want to turn to so-and-so. And I don't want to go to unbelieving, idol-worshiping, pagan, culture-worshiping folks in order to find my influence and my discipleship. I want to come to the word of God. And I want to know what you are saying. And I want this word to define me. I want this word to refine me. Because I want to be one that is more subject to what it is that I know you desire. And after time, God comes to Abraham and he comes to test him. And here's the testing. This is where the hammer meets the chisel, right? Jeremiah 23, is my word not like a fire, all-consuming? Jeremiah 23, 29, is it not like a rock that breaks up the stubborn, rocky, follow ground? Man, at times, the invitation to obedience is to deal with our stubbornness. It's to deal with hardened places of our life. 
God knows exactly the word, exactly the invitation, exactly the specific consequence of a circumstance of obedience in order to deal with the hostility still alive at times in our hearts that does not want to find our life in greater subjection to Jesus as king. There are areas of my life that I am still at times unwilling to relinquish in greater measure to the rule of Jesus. There are still spaces and places where I love having it my way, where I love the benefits of my own wisdom, where I enjoy operating by what the world says and the culture desires. And God knows exactly where I am and he knows exactly what to say to me in order to invite me. And he comes to Abraham to test him. And it says that this is a test. And I would suggest to you that this is the basis for kingdom influence. That our lives must be tested. For this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. He gives in the whole chapter from its opening a list of qualifications for leadership. Now, now let's not get too messed up over the word leadership so that some of us can exempt ourselves from the conversation thinking like, well, I don't want to be a leader, so none of that actually applies to me. The idea is that these are the qualities of a transformed life, that as we are looking for those who are to bear influence in God's house, this is the testing grounds for those that should be considered for influence. And when you look at the testing grounds, you find a lot of real life. God is not neglecting your real life in order to exalt you in some ministry capacity. There will be many that can flow in power and flaunt gifts that on that Matthew 7 day, Jesus will say, oh yeah, you had a whole lot going on, but I actually never knew you. It is possible to be powerful in public and pitiful in private. But the scripture suggests that pitiful in private is not the New Testament prescription for influence in God's house. Gideon, go home first. I'm going to use you in the field, but don't think I'm going to bypass what's happening in your house. Go home first and tear down idols and deal with generational issues. Samuel, none of your words are ever going to fall to the ground, but I'm going to give you a difficult word that you're going to have to release at home first. How are we going to fulfill the call on Abram's life to touch the peoples of the earth? Abram, go home first. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says in verse 10 that these men who desire to serve first must be tested. And after being tested and coming through testing in a way that is beyond reproach. That means without compromise. That means in every way as our life is being evaluated, it's not perfection, it's conviction. And there is a very real difference. The idea of biblical leadership is not some un unimaginable, some unrealistic idea of perfection because Jesus had much to say of the unrealistic idea of perfection when he was rebuking the mess out of the Pharisees and John the Baptist 
Baptist too. You're whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but hollow and corrupt and bankrupt on the inside. So it's not some unrealistic idea of perfection, but it's living life out of a transformed reality, having an anchor in real conviction, not bending or bowing when the testing and the trials of life come to my real life and finding me subject to God and his desires in every season when there's every reason that the rest of you could give me to compromise. Because life provides a million reasons as to why it would be okay to compromise God's word. There's a buffet of benefits. There's a plethora of unique opportunities. There's all types of deception with the system of the age and the swirl of the world and the current of chaos that the wicked one is wielding constantly. There is all types of justifiable reasons based off of where our influence and our discipleship is actually coming from. But the idea of biblical leadership and influence is one of transformation. Because God esteems those that are transformed and not just those that seem to be gifted. You can be severely gifted, but it does not also mean that you have been powerfully transformed. Well, bro, you don't get it, bro. I've been to Bible college and I got a degree hanging on my wall. As if a degree hanging on your wall is qualification for biblical leadership. This is not what Paul is suggesting. Paul says that any man that desires to serve, they first must be tested. And this isn't some weird like boot camp and hell week that leadership puts you through just to see if you're actually worth it. This is real life. And when the challenge of real life is coming to your real life, what is actually being exposed and what we can actually, by way of investigation, see as real life is testing you as a transformed person. Beyond reproach means living with conviction. Beyond reproach means surrendering to God's word. Beyond reproach means leaning into and partnering with the grace of God in moments of difficulty and breaking and having to persevere so that real tempering and character can actually be forged in my life because that's where actual hope comes from in Romans 5. We exult in tribulations because tribulations develop perseverance. Perseverance develops proven character, and proven character gives me hope. James would say it in chapter 1, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For don't you understand that in your suffering, don't you understand that in your trials, don't you understand that when fire is seeking to test you in real life, that God is not allowing it to disqualify you, but he's actually allowing testing at times in order to qualify you. He's encouraging you in moments where what he has done in you can rise, it can shine. What has happened on the inside of you to transform you through testing is going to authenticate you rather than derailing you. And he says, brothers, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. 
Because through your trials, it's developing endurance. And endurance is working towards your maturity, where you are complete and lacking nothing. Maturity is surrendering. Because your maturing is happening at the speed of your obedience (laughs) and the strength of your yes. There is no other way. You can decorate the outside, but to live from a place of real influence that's happening out of the reality of transformation, it has to be coming from what's going on on the inside. And Paul says, People must be tested in order to bear influence. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says in Philippians, everything that you have heard and learned and seen and received in me, do these things and the God of all peace will be with you. The idea is Paul understood his transformation. He understood the accountability of living from a transformed reality. And Paul knew that was of utmost importance was what God desired. And there was the constant unique invitation through the revealing of God's desires in order to obey him so that through God testing him he would be able to use the hammer and the chisel in order to refine him and to define him because is not my word like a fire and like a hammer I would suggest to you that when the hammer meets the chisel the process of development has begun Because the hammer is going to be God's word. It's going to be a scriptural accountability. It's going to be a unique accountability to being sensitive to the voice of the spirit in your life. The chisel is going to be real life circumstance. It's going to be when the rubber hits the road. It's going to be when real life starts happening. And now there's actual challenge and tension in order to obey what it is that you know God desires. It's when life gets set up in such a way where it makes it difficult in order for the harness, the bridling of God's desires that comes upon my life for me to consistently remain surrendered to him. Though everything swirling round about is trying to test the faithfulness of the one that I know revealed his desires to me. This is Psalm 105 speaking of Joseph in verse 19. Until... The desires of God came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. God visits Abram because he must be tested. And his test is to see if he's going to surrender to God's desires in real time. Will he do what it is that he knows God is asking him to do? When there's no way to create a buffer in the conversation to make it seem impressive to others. You see, at times, we're desperately seeking influence or opinions that would justify my lack of desire for obedience. But it doesn't matter how many I find to rally in agreement for me. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is if whether or not God is going to get obedience from me. It doesn't matter how many people are going to excuse you because they understand you. 
Well, bro, that's tough. I, I probably wouldn't do that either. Or, man, that doesn't really sound like God. But why is it that we are always at times when difficult words come or when the desires of God are revealed that seem to be contrary to what it is that I desire? We're always looking for justifiable reasons in order to exempt ourselves from the place of obedience. But real maturity, real maturity unto actual kingdom influence happens through the testing of our real lives. And it happens through greater and more real places of surrender and subjection to God's word. Those of us that have paid a significant price to obey what we know Jesus was saying when we had every reason not to. Those of us when the word of the Lord is testing us. When the word of the Lord is all you have. In moments when all of life is preaching to you that God is a liar. When at times your own emotional instability is preaching to you that there's a better way. At times when the system of the age, when the applause of our culture, when all of the accolades and the incentivizing of the swirl of the world around us is trying to lead us astray from what it is that we know is God's desires for us. There are a million and one reasons at times why we seek to not advance in the place of obedience. But our maturing in God is dependent on our surrendering to what we know is God's desires. You can decorate it real nice, but it doesn't matter to me how much we can be impressive in public if we're not surrendering to God in private. It doesn't matter to me. And this is what Paul is communicating in 1 Timothy 3, that there should be consistency from what we see on a public platform to what it is that we're able to interact with and experience in private rooms and places. That when we see what our life actually looks like in real time, in the ordinary, routine, mundane places, when life is actually happening, is there a jealousy to bring alignment to what it is that we know is God's revealed desires through a sensitivity and a power of the grace in God's spirit to put his harness on me and through life circumstance and his revealed desires to chisel out the image of Jesus in me? Because this is where it actually happens. The chiseling out and the conforming to the image of Jesus doesn't just happen when you're dancing in your pew. You have to go through real life. And you have to be tested in real life. Because until you're tested in real life, all we might have is a confession. <laughs> and every confession must be authenticated. And the enemy thinks that he's going to use circumstances to disqualify you and derail you. But what he does not understand is that God himself is using all of his energy against you in order to qualify you and to give you actual influence unto being a provocative element in a hostile culture. For had the rulers of the age known what they were doing when they nailed Jesus to the cross... They never would have crucified the Lord of glory. And had he understood what God was doing through the circumstance that you were going through, he never would have tested you the way that he tested you. 
Real influence happens out of the place of real life. Out of the place of real life. And you have to consider God's word in the context of your real life in order to start seeing actual growth in God and being conformed to the image of his son. It's happening in real life as we're surrendering to the word of the Lord in real life. You have to know what God is saying to you. Yes, we all have the word and the communicated desires. And all of our lives have the scriptural accountability. But then every single one of our lives are accountable for if any man knows what he should do, and that man does not do that in James 4, then to him it is sin. And James says that not many of us should desire to be teachers, for there's going to be a more strict judgment or evaluation. When our lives are tested by fire for the things that we assume about ourselves to be authenticated. Because again, it's why it must happen in real life. Listen to some of these things. For a man has to have a good report with outsiders. Unsaved folks, people that interact with you in an ongoing way in the different places of life where your life is a demonstration where your life is a sign, a wonder, an evidence, a witness. For a man can't be self-willed. For a man can't be given over to fits of rage. It's like, well, bro, you don't get it, man. God doesn't care about that stuff. Yeah, I get angry every once in a while, but bro, I can preach the pain off the walls. It's like, no, you're punching holes in your walls. In your fits of rage. And because we esteem gifting over transformation, we create exemptions for a lack of transformation because people are anointed. <laughs> and we assume that because they're anointed, that it automatically means that they're transformed. And at times, it's what provides the contradiction and it becomes a conflict. Is because when I see you flow and go, I assume that you must be everything that I think you are because God is with you. <laughs> a man can't be given over to fits of rage he has to manage his house well for what makes you think that if a man can't manage his own house that he should be a person of influence in the house of God this isn't just 1 Timothy 3 it's also Titus 1 it's also Matthew 5, 6, and 7 it's also Galatians 5 it's also 2 Peter 1 like there are a lot of places where the scriptural accountability is real transformation that gets authenticated in real life. Whenever real life is happening to us and real life provides the platform for people to see that we're actually a new creature, that we're really a new creation, that we are something different, that we're not just the same as everybody else and we've just learned some new church tricks, that we don't just know how to preach the pain off the walls and pray, but that we can actually live in the reality of power by God's grace to be something of real substance that is different than what everybody else is and that's where the challenge comes in and when people have been tested that way over time they're the ones that you want to look at others and say follow them as they follow Christ this is what the scriptures is at least suggesting 
should be the way that we are evaluating actual maturity in God and influence for our lives. Because maturity comes from transformation. It's time that we stop evaluating maturity according to gifting. The development of your gift is not also necessarily the development of a new creation character. And it's time that we stop applauding those that are just gifted, but we don't actually uniquely know if they're transformed. And when Paul says they must be tested, it means that someone has to be able to see you live. You can't just pop up like a jack-in-the-box and do all sorts of cool ministry tricks and then hide your real life. Because kingdom influence is not coming from the fancy tricks as a jack-in-the-box. It's coming from the testing of your real life and a people that have a vantage point to see you live your life as a transformed person. And as a transformed person that has been tested, you are now ready to bear influence. It's not a record deal that gives you influence. It's not a social media following that gives you influence. It's not some unique gifting or ability that other people are wowed by that gives you influence. It's real transformation that's been tested. It's maturity in God that's going to lay an anchor down in the word of the Lord and the scriptural accountability that though you test me and persecute me by fire, I will not deny him because I know what it is that he wants. He's revealed his desires to me and I will not derail. I will not recant. Though you test me like Daniel, keep your gifts and your money because you can't buy me to compromise. I know him. And I actually know him for myself. And I know what he wants. And even if all of my life puts me in a crucible where his desires get confronted with the culture's desires or even at times my own desires, I long by his grace to be more subject to his word. Because I understand that subjectivity to his word is what is conforming me to his image. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came and took upon itself flesh and tabernacled. God is looking for embodiment, where when I read this and I look at your life and the way that you live according to this, I can say, Amen, that makes sense. But if there are areas, places, and spaces of my life that make more sense to the culture than they do the scriptural accountability. I need greater surrender to what it is that I know God desires. Because God's not just looking for you to memorize revelation. He's longing for you to become one. And the only way that you become one is by surrendering to his word. The only way that you become one is by being more subject to what it is that you know is his desires. Because as you surrender to him, he conforms you to the image of his son. Where the word is able to work in you in order to produce the image of Jesus in you. Where the word that you surrender to comes alive on the inside. And the tempering and the refining whenever the crucible of life circumstance acts as a hammer and a chisel in order to conform the image of Jesus in you. There is no other way. There is no other way. 
unless we just at times attempt to prop up all of the exteriors and the facades. But those of us that have paid a price to obey Jesus over time, you can't fake what's in your face and you can't hide what's in your eyes. For if the eye of the body is the lamp of the soul, Jesus said when your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. There's something of a unique radiance. There's something that looks like him, sounds like him, smells like him. Whenever you get around those that are living the crucified life, there's an aroma that comes out of brokenness when our lives have become more subject to the invitation of God by the revealing of his desires to obedience to him and to him alone where I know what he wants and I want him to have it from me. Where the only thing that now matters to me is his smile over the place of my obedience. Where I want him to have me and I want him to have out of me everything that he wants from me. And this is all I care about because he's become everything to me. And in any way, in any place where you would desire to speak to me, reveal to me, say something to me, I long to obey you. I delight to do your will. This has become my greatest joy. It has become my food. I have food that you know nothing of. For my nourishment comes from obeying my father's desires. Through the laying down of my own life and him being able to have what it is that he wants from me. Because his will has become everything to me. And this is now what it is that my life is about. This is the transformed life. Where now the divine life that we house on the inside creates a jealousy for God to have what he wants from us. Let me ask you, even as you're sitting there, are you giving God what he wants from you? Man, now this is not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a blanket application for everybody. But through the sensitivity of the spirit and the unique provoking of your own heart and life, the testing of your own love for Jesus, those that love me, they will obey me. You can make it about all types of other stuff if you want to, but you have to redefine the qualifications in order for you to change the terms when you don't want to obey what it is that you know he desires. But we're not trying to redefine the terms. Those that love me, they will be the ones that obey me. Is Jesus getting from you what it is that you know he's after? He visited Abram and he tested him by inviting him into a place of obedience that was going to be extraordinarily difficult unless God gave him grace to do it. Man, what invitation is the Lord giving you that is testing you but is actually trying to qualify you? What unique invitation to obedience is the Lord providing to you that's creating just the right crucible to conform you in a greater way to his image, to chisel away at all of the stubborn, hardened places in your own heart and your affections for him, where God's going to give you grace in order to be more subject to him as king and what it is that you know he desires. Man, what is the Lord looking for this morning out of your life, out of your heart? Because this is 
where Paul says is the testing grounds for the development of our own maturity and then the building of our influence in God's house. That it comes through the constant testing of our lives and our lives being proved by being tested through the process of obedience to God time and time and time and time again. We never graduate from the place of obedience because we never graduate from the place of testing. Man, and may the Lord visit us afresh in the testing of our hearts and lives to invite us to obey him. And may we be a people who with joy, unique joy, even through difficulty, unique grace unto perseverance and endurance, a people of supernatural character because we've been refined by the fire and now we're defined by hope because we understand that what the enemy has sought to derail us with is actually the very thing that God has used to validate what he's done on the inside of us. And I just believe with all in my heart that what the Lord is looking for in this crowd specifically because if you go back and watch the live stream, you would understand that I spoke an entirely different thing in the first gathering. There were different people there. But what I believe the Lord is looking for from you, not just the pews, you as a real person. This isn't some general word where I just came to preach it to the house and it doesn't actually have to be real for anybody's life. What I believe the Lord is looking for from us as a company is a deeper place of surrender to things that you and I understand he has already revealed to us. And in any place where there has been resistance to what it is that we know is God's desires, that he would give us grace unto subjection. Well, I don't like the way that sounds, Mike. I don't want to be subject to anybody or anything except my own preference. Well, your life no longer belongs to you. My life is not my own. It's now to you that I belong. Right? We sing songs. I was, <laughs> we were laughing in the hotel room last night as we were looking at this reel from this guy who was singing uh, the words to a, what's become a popular song. Uh, I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. And as he began to understand the words that he was singing, he like pumped the brakes because in an emotional moment, it all sounded amazing. And he just got caught up in the crowd and uh, in, in the moment of emotionalism. But it didn't last when he understood the words. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He started looking around like, why are the rest of you singing this? Do you understand potentially what's at stake by singing these words? I believe the Lord is looking for surrender because there are people here that intimately understand his desires. And that's not to say that everybody is off. You don't have to be off. You just want to be more on. A desire to be more on doesn't mean that you have to be off. It's not suggesting that anyone here is in disobedience, although if we know that to be true about ourselves, then we must reconcile that. We have to come out of disobedience and we have to anchor our lives in obedience to Jesus in order to see the fruit and the reward of being conformed to his image. 
Being conformed to his image is going to happen by surrendering to his desires through his word. Because the word works. You can't dodge the word and then expect to be mature in the image of the word. We have to surrender to the word. And I believe that there's a company of people here this morning that want to give God what he wants. That you know what he's asking for. And maybe there's been a season of wrestling. Now let me just go ahead and let you know, it's okay to wrestle. Jesus wrestled in the garden. In the garden you get a picture of a man that is being broken under the weight and the beauty of God's leadership. You find a man that understands what his father is asking him for, but it's difficult for him to align his life to it. So that's not always to assume that we're not going to need incredible amounts of grace in order to align our lives with the desires that we know God has for us. You find a man that is wrestling and bleeding out on behalf of what he knows it is that his father is asking him for. It's okay to wrestle. So long as at the end of the wrestling match, we don't rise from the place of wrestling having concluded that it's okay for me to want my will. You rise from the place of wrestling having received the grace of God. Not my will, but your will be done. It's okay to wrestle so long as the wrestling produces surrender. So long as the end of the wrestling brings me to a deeper and more real place of subjection to God's leadership. It's okay for a time if we understand what it is that God wants and it's difficult for us to comprehend. But here we have the example of Abraham's life. He gets up early the next morning. He rises early to speedily go and obey the Lord. Whereas, like Jonah, there's distance between what he knows God wants and when he actually gives it to him. You see, at times as we're watching everyone from the outside, we don't understand the challenge and the wrestling of things that have been going on on the inside. We celebrate moments of obedience when we don't have the vantage point to understand how long it actually took for that person to get to the place of real surrender. But I believe that there's a people here this morning that want to give the Lord what he wants. Man, there is no greater joy in this life than to give Jesus what he wants. I'm telling you, all of the lies and all of the excuses that oppose us on the front side of our obedience, they get conquered, they get overcome, they get proved to be hollow liars. Once we receive his grace, surrender to his will, become more subject to his desires, there is no greater joy in this life than to obey Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.